electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, John Doerr invested in the internet and now he's betting on a greener future. The legendary venture capitalist on the tech that'll get us there. This is not some kind of green kumbaya party that we're having. It's a real revolution and there will be winners and there will be losers. And our own Andrew Ross Sorkin is back from the New York Times Dealbook Summit with highlights, including from Ken Griffin. We're at a a more precarious crossroad today than I think any of us anticipated just nine or 12 months ago. And Mary Barra. General Motors is so undervalued. Those stories, plus Elon Musk selling Tesla stock. Disney's got plans for the metaverse, and we're waiting for more wrecks. So I got a million streaming services and nothing to watch. It's Thursday, November 11th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and it is Veterans Day today. This is a day for us to pay our respects to all of those who have sacrificed for our country and thank everyone who has served. The bond market is closed in observance today, but of course, the stock markets are open on this Veterans Day. Tesla CEO Elon Musk selling nearly $5 billion in Tesla stock. This according to some financial filings that were just released last night. Still holds more than 166 million shares. He sold the shares in part to satisfy tax obligations related to an exercise of stock options. The filings reveal that a chunk of those shares were slated for sale before Musk tweeted that poll asking whether he should sell 10% of his Tesla stock. And Joe and Becky, if you recall, he'd been interviewed by Kara Swisher at the Code Conference earlier uh, in the fall, and he effectively said, look, the end of the fourth quarter is going to come, and I'm going to actually be selling a lot of shares to deal with to deal with these taxes. And that's why I think there was so much, I don't know, skepticism about what that whole Twitter poll was about. The question is whether, whether the Twitter poll now is a completely separate separate item, if you will. Uh, well, it, it, it did look like here. the initial tranche was the stuff that he had planned back in September. Right. So he knew about that. But then the sales that happened, I think, on Tuesday and Wednesday um, were not necessarily things that were part of that. So that could be in relation to the Twitter poll. It's pretty confusing because at first I was like, you got to be kidding me. Right. But digging through some of it, he could be selling those later shells, uh, shares because of the Twitter poll. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's always um, I'm just surprised he hasn't to taken to Twitter to explain himself. His favorite mode of communication? I would have thought he would say, look, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing it. This is why I'm doing it. But I don't know where the, I don't know where the board is. I don't know if there's lawyers that are, you know, he's supposed to get, is this supposed to get this stuff approved? Is he not supposed to get this stuff approved? We may show you some clips, by the way, a little bit later uh, from Ken Griffin, uh, who was an early investor, I believe, in SpaceX. And he had a pretty provocative view about Elon Musk and the share sales. So we'll talk about that. Well, he explained that he's, and and we, Becky and I were, we felt his pain yesterday. He's cash poor. He doesn't take a salary, Andrew. And, you know, they said he might get as much as $17 billion just to get him through, you know, like next year. Uh, that's, I, that's what I was thinking. I, I, 
I'm glad I'm not in that position because I, I have a salary that I can live off of. You know, and I, I, I can't imagine it's being tough. stuck where, uh, you know, waiting until that $17 billion clears and actually hits your account. And then, you know, so you pay the bills you've already got uh, with that. And then you just, you know, just start budgeting. $17 billion. Wouldn't you be able to, uh, that'd get you through how long, Andrew? Would you make it to, uh, like, the, three, the year 3,000? Infinity and beyond. At, at least the year 2525. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not funding missions to Mars, so it's, it's hard to right. know well, whether, how, far, how long I get. That gets well, expensive. That gets expensive. Well, but the other side of that I've been thinking, because I know you have a SpaceX story you're going to talk about in a moment, is SpaceX, I believe, makes money now. This is, I believe, a profitable enterprise. So when he talks oftentimes about how he's you know, planning to fund you know, interplanetary um, space missions and whatnot, I don't know. Maybe he will have to put up his own capital to do that eventually. But I believe SpaceX is actually doing remarkably well. Uh, Bezos has said that every time he sells Amazon shares, it's to fund Blue Origin. Right. Although he has had some other purchases recently, too. Well, we now have the money for Build Back Better. Um, so we, we got that going for us. So, uh, you know, once he pays his taxes on, on the shares, so we can do all that stuff. I th- almost. I mean, we just did. Let's talk SpaceX. Another Musk news. Uh, SpaceX launched four astronauts to the International Space Station last night, uh, known as the Crew-3. The mission will, uh, for NASA will uh, bring the astronauts to the ISS for a six-month stay in orbit. Can you imagine? Uh, this is SpaceX's third operational crew launch for NASA. I, well, I don't know if I'd survive getting up there, but once I got up there, I think I'd want to go home. I'm pretty sure. It's, and I'd be worrying about it. I'd be, I'd be worrying about it immediately. Did you see the problems to... they had? There was concern about the, the toilets and in, in the one to get back down. Yeah. So it was a real splashdown. Excuse the diapers. Me? <laughs> the diapers. <laughs> Where diapers coming back there. Because there was depend. a problem. There was a potential leak, I think, in the, in the toilet. And that it could be depend. a bad thing if... if, if Wet stuff got out. I have a fear. I have a serious fear well, of death, obviously, but a fear of heights. And, it, and I can remember when I was a little kid. Do you remember going up into, if you ever had a friend who had a, a, um, a house up in a tree, a tree house? Yeah. And it, it, yeah, if, tree it was house. Ki- if it was kind of hard to get up there, once I got up there, I couldn't relax because I was immediately worrying about getting back down. You may not be down. a candidate for a mission to Mars. So I would not be, yeah, no, I probably wouldn't. Well, I saw what happened to Matt Damon. You saw what he was eating, right? I did. Potatoes so, made, made fresh. From, yeah. Uh, made, <laughs> made fresh. Yeah, well, that's one well, way Andrew, what, what, did, what did Griffin say about, about SpaceX? Is he still an investor or he was an early investor and got out? I don't know if he's still an, uh, still an investor. I imagine he may very well be because it's a private company. But his take on, on all this is actually that he doesn't want big successful corporate leaders to be selling their shares. I never thought we'd let our ownership stakes be dictated by a poll on Twitter, but I think it was a move by him to highlight some of the issues at play with respect to Wine's tax policy. We don't want tax policy to drive great entrepreneurs like Elon out of their seats. I mean, if you think about it, it's a relatively small number of American entrepreneurs have radically changed our society over the last 20 years, much for the better some for the worse. But these individuals like Elon Musk, like Jeff Bezos, have transformed life. And we want to keep them in control of their companies as long as they've got the energy and the ambition to keep moving the business forward. So you don't want him selling? I personally don't want to see him selling. I think his view is that the, uh, the amount of money that we will collect from a, either a wealth tax or something that would require the sales of these shares 
um, in the short term will be de minimis relative to the value creation over time to the larger system. That's his argument. We can it debate. It seems it, of like course, he's saying, that, "Go ahead and borrow against it and write it off and do everything that it is has a huge target on its back right now." How else could, if you are illiquid and don't pay yourself, what, what's he suggest then? Borrowing the then he, he go ahead and we, do what he, he didn't get too, He didn't get right. Well, he didn't get that far the down other the alternative, isn't it? Down that's the rabbit the, hole of, of how to do it. But I think his, I think he was his point more is even about a wealth tax, though, right? Just yeah. I think his point is even broader, which is that you know. And, and, and you're going to hear me sort of struggle to say it because I'm not sure I agree with it. Uh, I think that his premise largely is, look, we create some of the greatest companies in the world. Joe, you've made this point. Becky, you've made this point in America relative to virtually every other country in the world. And to his, to his, to his eyes, that system is working. And he thinks that it works better this way and that the alternative uh, potentially may very well be too risky a, a path to go down because of what it may do to the sort of larger incentive structure. Although it doesn't answer the inequality issue that I think so much of this is. I, they're, they're, I, I don't even think they're worried I, about I'm not disagreeing with how you. much money they raise. <laughs> it's more probably a question of making sure that there isn't such a gap between the haves and the have-nots. Right. Let's talk about Disney now. Shares there falling after the company said that subscriber count to its Disney Plus streaming service is still growing, but that growth is slowing and slowing pretty dramatically, too. Disney added 2.1 million subscribers in the latest quarter. That's down from 12.6 million that were added in the previous quarter. And here's CEO Bob Chapek. He was on Fast Money yesterday talking about subscriber growth. We reaffirmed our guidance of 230 to 260 million households. And we believe that there are two primary drivers of that growth. First one is going to be the expansion into new markets. We're going to double the number of markets that Disney Plus is in in international territories uh, by fiscal year 2023. And the second component is obviously going to be new, fresh content across all of our wonderful Disney franchises. Earnings for the company came in at 37 cents a share, and that missed estimates of 51 cents. So it was a big miss. Revenue also fell short. That stock, Dow Component, down by almost 5 percent this morning. Um, Guys, that subscriber growth, that's a big deal, and it it has implications for all these other companies. Joe, you've been talking about Peloton maybe being the poster child for what happens afterwards. Uh, But the pandemic did serve all of these companies to really get huge demand coming in. The question is, did it pull forward a lot of demand? What can you expect from this point out? I had a conversation with our illustrious, uh, you know, our crack producer, Mad Max. And my point, once again, is it's always been the same. I, give me some content. I don't care how you get it to me, really. Streaming's fine. Give me some streaming. I got all the streaming services. I don't know if I'm going to keep all of them. Every one of them is called Plus. Some of them, I, I, don't, I don't know whether they survive. There's, there's got to be some consolidation. Uh, but I don't care how you give it to me. I don't care whether it's over the top. I don't care whether it's, uh, you know... The way we, we get it now, I just there are times where I have a choice of streaming or just staying on my cable box. I'm like, oh, good. I can stay on my cable box and just do it's it easy easier. instead right. of waiting for the transfer and, and all that stuff. But that they're spending so much money trying to distinguish themselves and, and get name brand stars for something that not that many people have. Aren't they? I mean, for producers, writers, stars, these streaming services trying to get on the map. It's, it's bidding up prices for that, and that can't last, I don't think. But I don't see the results in terms of, of what I'm watching. There are times when I'm sitting down there, and it's like, oh, Godfather 1 is on. I'm going to watch that again. And, and that's like the 50th time that I've seen it. 
How much do you think, though, the, the move in, in the stock market for those streaming services during the pandemic effectively perverted, for lack of a better word, the strategy of these companies? For all of them. And by During the way, the pandemic and it, even it, before it, that, if you were chasing, chasing that, like chasing their tail, whether yeah. it's going to really work or not. And, and now they're all whether committed. it's going to work or not. Yeah. And by the now way, you know, I know we're going to talk about Rivian later, but in a way it, it connects. All of a sudden you have a, you have these market caps for these for, for certain types of companies. And then everybody starts to chase that. And the question is whether that's worth chasing. That's right. a legitimate question. Um, you watching anything? What do you got? What do you got for me, Sorkin? I, I haven't watched it. Thing. He's been Think doing deal book. But if you did have some time. I was myopically focused for about 48 hours. <laughs> I haven't watched it. Watch the thing. I don't know anything. At night, except my squat, wife and I, squat. when we're together, we like to be able to have a glass of wine and watch some TV. You know what I mean? And, and if there's... Totally. You know, she doesn't care about uh, NCAA basketball. I was going to say basketball? I, I, go right. figure. Go figure. She doesn't care about because it started. Uh, but... Have you seen, this is good, it's, it's on Netflix, have you seen Made? Made is good. It's really good. It's Andy McDowell's daughter. It's really good. Tilara's really, watching You, the second season it? or third season of You. Is it called You? Okay, I'll look at that. Pilar is pretty good. I think uh, it's a very, um, but not for, it's not for kids, I can tell you that. Oh, maybe, then I, maybe I won't like it. I won't like it then. It's like books without pictures. It's like, do people, I mean, really? Uh but you know what I'm saying. So I got a million streaming services and nothing to watch. It's not fair. It's not right. Oh, I got one fair. for you. Dope Sick. Huh? It's called Dope what? Sick. It's on Hulu. Uh, heard, it's about I the opioid about crisis. That. And it is good. Um, it is um, No, Michael that's Keaton. too serious. I don't want to worry about that. It's good, but is it a documentary? No, 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 no. Scripted. Michael Keaton. Okay. Dope Sick. I'm going to look it up. Next on Squawk Pod, one of the venture capitalists who helped build the internet, John Doerr. He invested in Google in the 90s, and now he's betting on green tech. But it's bigger than just his portfolio. The point isn't so much making money on the investment as it is swiftly and successfully transforming the economy the way the internet transformed the economy. The revolution, right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Andrew, bye. This is Squawk Pod. In three, two, one, Hugh Andrew. 
Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. Live from the Nasdaq market set in Times Square, I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Shares of EV truck maker Rivian ended up yesterday 29% higher in its first day of trading. Shares are in the green again this morning, putting its market cap now above both Ford and GM. And joining us right now to talk about this and so much more is John Doerr. He's the venture capitalist and chairman at Kleiner Perkins. Um, and he has a new book out. It is called Speed and Scale, an Action Plan for Solving Our Climate Crisis. But before we uh, get to that, I do want to get your, your thoughts on what has been these remarkable valuations for companies um, that are, frankly, not just in the EV space, but relate to your underlying narrative around climate, John. Do these valuations make sense? Well, rather than comment on any of the individual valuations, I'll say the electrification of transportation is one of the six largest trends that uh, we're going to experience as we move from the fossil fuel polluting economy to the new clean energy economy. Rivian, is, as you know well, has an order from Amazon for 100,000 of its vehicles starting delivery in 2023. Uh, I think Rivian, Tesla, uh, they point the way to a massive transformation. Uh, some uh, 2% of vehicles on the road globally today are electric. And the book argues, and I believe, we're going to move to nearly 100% of our vehicles powered by, by batteries. So, but John, as, as a venture capitalist who's, who's talked about this as an, infl- an inflection point uh, in terms of investing in climate that, that feels to you like something uh, like the internet in the early days, what do you think that when just in the vehicle space, I'm thinking, what how do you look at the quote unquote TAM, the total addressable market? Because some people say, look, you really should just look at how many automobiles are, are on the road and assume they all get replaced by EVs. And that's the market. Well, if that's the market, the valuations actually don't make sense. But if you start to believe that the vehicles themselves potentially become, you know, uh, battery power generators for people's homes and all sorts of other things, then the dynamic shifts, I think, a bit. Well, I'm in the camp that believes they will become uh, energy reservoirs and will change uh, the way we live in a new uh, low-carbon low future. Uh, President Biden declared that he thought the F-150 was uh, a powerful innovation, and th- this will not be limited to the new companies and new ventures alone. It, 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 it's a, it's a trend that has the entire global automotive industry on notice. One analyst has estimated that the value of the market for just the electric batteries is $400 billion a year for the next 20 years. So we're going to replace this oil and gas infrastructure with the electrification of transportation. And you think it's done, you think it's done through vehicles? So then, my question as an investor, you know, we have a whole list of of, of stocks: Tesla, Lucid, Rivian, Fisker, EVgo, and, and and others. Do you think that people should think about this as a portfolio approach, meaning bet bet on the whole system and hope a couple of them win, um, or is it more targeted than that? Is it not? You know, I'm reluctant to give other people investment advice. I'll I'll tell you, my my own approach is to try to focus on the winners, the ones that have the best management teams, the best strategic relationships, and the, and the best technologies. But the, the overall message here is, uh, some, some would say this is a bubble. I'd rather say it's a boom. And booms historically have led to overinvestment. 
but also to massive shifts in value, uh, to uh, uh, full employment, to rapid market development and competition. We're seeing all that. Uh, turning, turning to my own investments, I fully disclosed them in this book. It's resource number four. But the point isn't so much making money on the investment as it is swiftly and successfully transforming the economy the way the internet transformed the economy to this uh, new climate conscience era. Hey, John, one of the things I wanted to ask you, and it relates to the book, is a comment that Steve Schwartzman made about two weeks ago. And he effectively suggested that the focus on ESG, the transition cost of that focus, um, we are starting to feel. I know there's a debate about that, uh, but in terms of oil and energy prices, we're seeing them go up. The obviously uh, investment or frankly lack of investment in new drilling and the like may very well be good for the climate. But in the short term, he suggests this could create real unrest. What do you think about that? I think that the, the transition to a new clean energy economy needs to be managed as best as we can. But this is not some kind of green kumbaya party that we're having. It's a real revolution. And there will be winners and there will be losers, just as we saw in the Internet era. You know, at the start of the Internet, I took some flack and kicked up a firestorm when I said that the Internet had been underhyped. And I will say this about climate technologies. I think they've been underhyped or, or at least they've been underappreciated in terms of their importance for the planet, their importance for well-being, for national leadership, these large markets, and for uh, really pressing issues of equity. John, you walk through an action plan in your book, In Speed and Scale, of things that need to happen about how to decarbonize the grid and fixing food and uh, removing carbon. What do you think is the lowest hanging fruit on your list right now? Uh, the lowest hanging fruit is to stop deforestation. It's the goal that talks about protecting nature. But every one of these six big goals is, is an, an awesome objective. And we've got to proceed on all six of them in parallel at once to avoid a catastrophic, irreversible climate crisis. And in terms of technology, is there a, technolo is there a technology or technology company right now that you think is doing something that is just beyond, uh, and I'm thinking particularly in the world, world of carbon capture, since that seems to be such a crucial element of making all of this happen ultimately. Uh, carbon capture is a particularly hard problem, and I, I don't have a winner to pick there. I think we need lots more innovation. I would say the equivalent of the microprocessor for this new energy revolution are breakthroughs in batteries. And there's a number of, uh, of, of battery uh, scale manufacturers and innovators. It's the, it's the battery that will let the vehicles go longer and allow them to be lighter weight and, and let them to be more affordable. Final question for you, John. Uh, a lot of energy companies, including Exxon, Exxon and others, I just talked to Darren Woods about this as well, want to become low carbon uh, and also want to get into the carbon capture business. Do you think that they will ultimately be the winners or, or the ones who ultimately do this or not? I do not think they will be the winners. And in most revolutions, technology or industrial, the incumbents have not emerged as the long-term winners. I'll tell you one more thing before we close this off. This, this whole plan is available for free at the website speedandscale.com. Speedandscale.com. The book is called Speed and Scale. And John, uh, you're a legend in the business, and we appreciate you being here with us this morning. Uh, thanks for having me. 
Next on Squawk Pod, advice for Mark Zuckerberg, inflation heights, and the sky-high valuations of electric vehicle producers. I think their trucks look funny. They look like Thomas the Tank Engine. All that and more in highlights from the New York Times Dealbook Online Summit. Squawk Box is reunited when we come back. Who's opening food? You could hear me doing that? Oh, I'm sorry. Am I on TV? People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. And today, we're bringing you highlights from the New York Times Dealbook Online Summit, hosted by Squawk Box's own Andrew Ross Sorkin. The two-day virtual event marked the 20th anniversary of Dealbook and brought together some of the most influential minds in business, policy, and culture to take stock of where the world is today. We're in an era of rapid reinvention, still recovering from a once-in-a-century, let's hope, pandemic. Andrew talked through the highlights with Joe and Becky this morning. I spoke with Citadel CEO Ken Griffin about the economy and got his his reaction, I should say, to the inflation data that we saw yesterday. That price has climbed 6.2 percent, the biggest jump in 30 years. Here's what he had to say about it. We're at a a more precarious crossroad today than I think any of us anticipated just nine or 12 months ago. The Fed's hand is going to get pushed pretty hard here by this print today, and they're going to have to make some pretty tough decisions around both the pace of taper and the speed with which they raise rates in 2022. I also spoke with General Motors CEO Mary Barra, and I asked her about the valuation of electric vehicle companies. Tesla at $1 trillion, and now upstarts like Lucid at nearly $70 billion. And of course, Rivian, which is closing its first day of trading at $86 billion. It highlights to me is the huge opportunity. General Motors is so undervalued. And as we uh, you know, start this wonderful period that we are now in, because we invested you know, over three, four years ago in electric vehicles with the Ultium platform, as the Hummer comes out yet this year, as the uh, Lyric comes out early next year, as, and it's just a steady run. We'll have our ba- own battery plant up and running next year. So I'm just excited to get all these vehicles out to leverage the men and women of General Motors and the manufacturing talent that we have. So I see it as huge opportunity for General Motors to capture significant more value. She didn't want to say it. I think she thinks these stocks are overvalued, but I think that she thinks that there's still a huge gap and an opportunity that even if they come down and she can come up just a little bit, uh, that that there's an opportunity there. Meantime, President Biden and China's President Xi, Xi Jinping, scheduled to meet virtually next week. And I had an opportunity to talk to the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, about that meeting. And Whether much can actually be accomplished in a virtual setting. 
as I said, they've already spent, I think, something like five hours uh, on the phone over the course of several conversations. Uh, when they have this this virtual meeting, that, uh, that'll be more time, more focus on uh, a whole host of issues. Because here's the, here's the thing. This is the most complex and also the most consequential relationship that we have, the relationship with China. And it's, it, it's tempting to try to put it on a, a bumper sticker, but, but we can't do that. Uh, it has uh, aspects of, uh, that, are, that are clearly competitive, uh, some that are cooperative, uh, and some that are adversarial. Uh, and the challenge for us is to make sure that we're managing that relationship across all of these uh, different aspects. And I'll also say we got into a whole discussion about Taiwan and what China would uh, or what the United States would do if China were to invade. There's a bit of semantics game going on um, in terms of the word usage, in terms of what what the United States would do. He continued to to suggest that there would be support by the United States uh, to to protect Taiwan. But still some questions to me about whether, you know, what our role really would be. Uh, and then finally, uh, my final guest of the, the summit was Maria Ressa, uh, the co-founder and CEO of Rappler. That's a news site based in the Philippines. She was the winner of the 2021 Nobel Peace Prize for documenting how social media is being used to spread fake news, harass opponents and manipulate public discourse. And I asked her uh, about if she were Mark Zuckerberg for a day, what she would do to fix Facebook. If I were Mark Zuckerberg for a day, yep. turn up news ecosystem quality, number one. Number two, the difference between fact and fiction. And I don't mean like, you know, are there two of us having a conversation? That's not right. debatable. There are right. two of us. Right. Those types of things that you can come on. Or what about signals from the real world, the way PageRank, Google PageRank does it? Right. There's 135 pages that go in, um, but they are linked to real world authority. And when I mean authority, expertise. If you break it up, it does, you'll have the same problems if you have people with no ethics. And Maria has a a remarkable, uh, remarkable story and history uh, in the Philippines and with journalism. Started her business, by the way, on Facebook. That's how the platform began. And she actually went and spoke with Mark Zuckerberg, I believe back in 2017, um, to warn him uh, of some of the things that were taking place. Big two days. Mary Barra, yeah, they. I, I mean, I, I, the way I read that, you, give me some of that EV love because they've yep. tried legacy. Me- they've got they got a valuation based on their legacy business. It, it I mean, G, GM. Remember what it was valued at? You know, at the height of the finance, was it valued at anything? Right. Its its enterprise value was almost all all dead at that point. So, but you know, just because you're making an EV doesn't mean you're going to get EV love if you don't have the 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 right you know EV offer. Well, I- do you? What I don't get about this, and I, we've talked about this, is clearly as a TAM. What is the real TAM? Is the TAM not the car market that exists today, plus plus a little bit, or is there is it is it wildly much more than that? I mean, that's the ultimate question. And then, how much of that pie can you capture? You see, one, one of the domestic right automakers. Right now, we've expanded the pie. One, I think it might be Ford. I think it's Ford says, I, I mean, that the power's out in the house and the guy's hooking up his, his truck to the to right. power of the house. I mean, they, they got all, you know. And that's the question. How, how, do you, how do you define what the ultimate market is? is the Solar market, panels, charge doubled? your battery, you charge your car, that becomes your Generac to charge. I don't know. Um, it, it's, uh, it sounds good. I don't know if it really, if it really happens. Rivian's not overvalued, Sorkin? Seriously? If you if fully diluted, it's more than 100 already. 
They've never, they make no money. They're, they're, I think their trucks look funny. I think they, I said yesterday you weren't here, but they look like Thomas the Tank Engine. They've got this I funny I don't disagree. Look. The only thing is, and but, 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 but let's both accept it. We both thought for years that Tesla was wildly overvalued. And we may still think it today. I'm just, and I don't know. We always thought they were cool. We always thought Tesla were cool, but we thought that they were, you know, being able to survive and make money because of, of subsidies. That, that was what we always thought, right? Everybody, I always liked that. I mean, it's a beautiful no, car, no. The, the Model S. I don't like beautiful those. I, I, I've never liked the, the cheese wedge. Uh, that ugly thing. Which one is that? It's like a crappy looking SUV. Which, which one X. is that? Is that yeah, X? horrible. Horrible. I mean, they, I they think had it's kind of cool. Well, they had think to, cool? I think they had to go through 10 different models and say, all right, this is the ugliest one. Let's go with this one. Coming with up. The wings, uh, the wing doors. It's like a McLaren. I like the it's wing cool. doors. Just the overall car. It's big and boxy and then ugly. It looks like one of those uh, Plymouth. What was that thing? It looked like one of those. I can't Plymouth. remember it. Yeah, oh, it, I remember a Plymouth. Wow. Good old days. <laughs> Not your father's Oldsmobile. Uh, it, it wasn't a Plymouth. Pontiac, Andrew. Remember Walter White's car? The Aztec? Remember that thing? Yep. They, they did that on, I, they did abs- that on purpose. They gave him that car. And then Tesla said, all right, that's an ugly car. Watch what we can do here. The Sorkins had an Oldsmobile back in the day. Just I so loved you know. Oldsmobile. So, I loved, uh, those loved were, an Oldsmobile. Man, oh, man. Um, Crunchy. They were heavy, and they were like tanks, weren't they? The old Delta We had an Oldsmobile, and we had a Buick Century. Do you remember that? I do. Remember the Lincolns with the, the doors that opened like that? The Lincoln Continental? Yep. No. Could never afford Wait, one well, of those. The Buick Century was not that fancy at all. No, Who, no. Who was no. opening food? The Lincoln Continental. Yeah, they were, they were pretty cool. You could get in a different way. They were like a... But we, and we, we wanted one, and we looked at it, and, and I remember I was very disappointed, and we couldn't afford it. And we got, I don't know, some crappy Ford. I'm not touching anything, Becky. I think Joe's got something in his hands. He's got his coffee. I hear it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could hear me doing that? Making it? Oh, I'm sorry. Am I on TV? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Doggone it. Write-ups from DealBook are on CNBC.com. You can search more about the summit at NewYorkTimes.com. And there you'll find video clips from Andrew's interviews, including with Pfizer CEO Albert Borla, Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, podcasters Dax Shepard and Monica Padman, and a lot more. And that does it for our podcast today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Squawk Pod is available anytime, wherever you listen. Thanks. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.